Welcome to the SaaS Ad Lab podcast, where we're going to choice of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the founder of Fancy Agency, a digital marketing agency specialized in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Jeb. He is the CEO over at Boardable. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure having you. And to kick things off, why don't you just tell me a little bit more, you know, about yourself, your background, and what led into you building the company? Thanks, Louise. I'm happy to be here. Um, so Boardable really came out of uh, two, two sort of separate uh, incidents. And, and uh, one was a customer of my previous company, United Way of Central Indiana, came to uh, me and the founders and asked us to build a board portal for them. And uh, we recognized, based on our experience with nonprofits, which is sort of the other side of this, I had co-founded two nonprofits at that point and had served as board chair that there was a real um, missing piece to the market here for a board management software solution that was affordable for nonprofits, easy to use, and built on the cloud, you know, a cloud native solution. And so uh, we decided to go ahead and build a beta version of what became Boardable just to test the market without a commitment from, from the client. And uh, after some good product market fit validation uh, in 2017, we began to raise some money and build a team and by the end of that year, I left the agency and, and came on full-time in, in 2018 uh, to run Boardable. So cl- clarify something here for me. I don't, I don't know if I missed it, um, but the previous role where you were at, was that very technical? No, no, I'm not a technical person. I mean, I, I, I've certainly dabbled enough to understand uh, technology. Uh, it was a creative agency. Uh, right. Started off doing websites, marketing, uh, branding. We work primarily with nonprofits, and so we really, you know, knew the customer, if you will, for Boardable. Um, and so, three of the four founders came from that company, from Smallbox, the creative agency I was running. Mm-hmm. My wife runs that company now, so she took that business over at the beginning of 2018. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So that's something that I, I actually come across a lot more often than I think I would, and, and and I always say that it's because of a couple of different things, but the most prevalent one is. When you're working in an agency space, especially when you're niched down, you know, you were working with profit with a uh, nonprofit companies, you kind of start to see what are some of the missing pieces that are happening over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. that kind of give you the idea, okay, like this is something that is missing as a whole and nobody's really touching. So there's there's room for, you know, for for something else here that I can build out. And it's nice when you have the agency because and this is something that I've also seen before, right? You're using the agency to really fund the initial stages of what in this case would be boardable. Was that the case? Um, Yes. So we were essentially bootstrapping boardable on the payroll of the agency. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that was, um, you know, the way that we got through those, those, that first really year Mm -hmm. was using that agency's cash flow while still keeping it and incubating it outside of small box. So one of the things, we had tried before to start products and just kept on hitting walls. And the, the real wall that we were hitting was if the service business is focused on delivering, delivering cult consulting services, that's what's paying the bill bills. You know, it's really hard to go and start a product that doesn't have any sort of income for like a year. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it always sits, it always eats last. It's always backburnered. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that, that what we were able to do was by moving it into its own entity pretty early on, but keeping the people there on payroll, at least initially, we were able to have the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. And 
you know, it was a little risky, but it worked out. Yeah. And, and that's cool because now you have two companies that are essentially, you know, working with the exact same people and you're able to refer business back from one to the other. Well, yeah, we don't do a whole lot of that. Um, uh, you know, it, the, the customers we're working with Boardable, we're not really trying to sell them uh, websites or consulting services. We're not trying to muddy those waters. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a little bit from Smallbox to Boardable in terms of some of their customers needing a board management solution. But uh, right now, we're not really focused on, on cross-selling between the two companies. Okay, so not even when it comes down to... Saying like if, if, if you have a client for a small box or if your wife has a client for a small box and unless they're interested in something for board management, you're not going to mention uh, boardable at all. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's generally speaking the, the you know, the case. Um, uh, I have to be very careful with boardable because it's got funders. It's got, you know, it's got its own, its own destiny, if you will, to not um, sort of drag it into small boxes world too much and at the beginning it was muddy because they were so co-bingled but when we started to bring in funding that funding was for boardable not for small box and so um, we are in the same building i'm married to the ceo i founded the other company so things can get a little muddy but um we've done a good job of having some walls up so that uh you know the businesses are really distinct Mm -hmm. what was the hardest part of you transitioning from the creative agency over to Boardable full time? Uh, the year that we did that was, was a very, very stressful year. So I was running both businesses. My mm-hmm. wife was coming into Smallbox, a creative agency. And by the middle of that year, she joined early 17. By the middle end of it, it was clear that we needed um, a new CEO of mm-hmm. Smallbox and that I needed to leave. And so uh, having to handing off that business to her, and that business was not as healthy as it had been in the past because my attention and energy had been focused on boardable. We've been right. using the payroll to, you know, so <laughs> we basically have been, been draining it of cash, you yeah. know, to be honest. Um, so handing her a sick puppy, if you will, um, that's not the easiest thing for a marriage to take. Mm-hmm. But she did it very, very gracefully and I'm very grateful for what she did and she brought it back to health and mm-hmm. we just had a great year. We're finishing right now. We're finishing a great year and very profitable year at Smallbox. And I'm very proud of what she's been able to do. So that transition, that, that's a whole other podcast, but yeah. handing out business to your wife is, it's not easy. Um, it's real, real messy. And we actually, we do have a podcast called the 321 Podcast, where we talk about that quite a bit. Um, three business, sorry, three kids, two businesses, one marriage. That's cool. That, what that is like, because it's, yeah. it's not, not easy. That's awesome. I'll have to take a, I'll have to listen to one of those episodes. But aside from that, so one of the things that I typically see also is like in what I mentioned, right, which is you have the, the agency that built out the product for those customers. So they're able to cross sell. In your case, it doesn't seem like that is essentially your, you know, like a first movers advantage kind of, uh, you know, thing that you get to use essentially. But so what we're, if you ever did that, aside from that, you know, the, the growth tactics that you started implementing at the very early stages of Boardable. Yeah, so we're, we're product led and that, that means that we're very reliant on marketing and on a product experience um, to spread the word. Um, and we do have a good customer base here in central Indiana, but our customers are, are all, over, all over the world. We're in 25 countries 
Nice. Um, and uh, we've just done that through marketing. So my background is marketing. We brought in some really good marketing people early on to build out that machine. And so we're generating, you know, 1500 plus leads a month, uh, you know, 400 plus trials mm -hmm. and then them getting them into that trial experience, drip campaigns. So um, we've really focused on, on marketing uh, across the gam you know, gamut. It's um, social media, AdWords, mm -hmm. Captera, G2 Crowd, you know, email. Uh, we do some outbound work with a couple of different agencies that do um, some cold outreach on our behalf and set up demos and trials for us. So we have about a dozen different channels driving uh, traffic currently. That's pretty cool. Because one thing that you see, and I think you might understand this from an agency perspective, is typically agencies, unless they're, you know, big companies like, you know, like, like the bigger agencies, we're talking about a little bit more like Gary Vaynerchuk or uh, the one that you always see ads for, Disruptive, I think it's called. Like you don't typically see advertising done for marketing agencies, which is a little bit ironic. But in this case, you're were able to essentially put, you know, in action everything that you've been doing for other people in the past for yourself. How did that feel? Like, did you ever feel like it was going to be a little difficult to really like see traction coming from that, given that you've never really done it for? Well, I actually don't know, right? But just assuming from the history that I'm talking about, if you hadn't done it before, was that ever something that kind of crossed your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, we had never, we had marketed, um, you know, nonprofits and some businesses, but not really product companies and marketing a product business is different than marketing a service business. Yeah. Um, and um, you're looking at, you know, it's, it's a little, it's definitely more transactional. Um, it's a higher volume mm -hmm. uh, in a service business. Uh, a new client a month is a good number. Yeah. Um, if we, if we get less than 50 customers in a month, we're devastated. Mm -hmm. you know, new customers, you know, so it's like the numbers are different. So you're, you're playing with, you're playing with um, sort of different dynamics there and um, building a self-service product. It's all about how can you build scalability into the business at every level. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the, just the, the DNA, of the team's different, the mindset's different um, in terms of how you go to the market and um, you're trying to, you know, it's like with everything else, you, you know, from marketing, you've got to work the funnel. You have that top of funnel where they're just beginning to be aware that there is something besides email to manage a board. We call it digital duct tape, you know, like email, doodle, Dropbox. Yeah. That mid funnel where they're starting to get educated and they're starting to look at us and some of the competitors in that bottom of the funnel where they're starting to test mm -hmm. uh, through demos and trials. Um, speaking, creating content and experiences for those different mm -hmm. uh, stages and then looking at them on an audience level, persona level as well. And we're still doing a lot of work to get that better. But that's, yeah. you know, we took a lot of that, those fundamentals that we knew from marketing and brought them into this business. Cool. What is one of the things that has worked the most as far as marketing goes? Like, are you, have you ever tested, you know, like direct response, content marketing, bottom of the funnel, top of the, like top of the funnel? What's been, what's worked at, like, I guess, best at each one of those stages for you? Um, initially, the thing that really just got us going was Captera. We were, um, you know, doing Captera and, and, and their the Gartner ecosystem, and, and that got us the the um, customers outside of our region. Like they started to get it. We started to have international customers. Just, customers. Sorry, Captera, as in just your listing there, or doing ads inside of Captera. So paying for so Captera is big. It's not much of a secret. It's pay to play. You, yeah. 
your ranking in Captera is based upon your bid. Um, G2 Crowd's more based upon your reviews. Mm -hmm. um, G2 Crowd really was not a player when we started. It's becoming more of a player now in our market in terms of owning some search. And so the way to get there quickly was Captera is to get people into your product and, in, and you know, that's, there's nothing more valuable than getting users and customers and um, price is much less important to us at that point, that stage than just activity. Now we think more about that, of course, but um, you know, that was our first real home run is like, okay, this is working. We're getting people to a free trial page they're signing up and they're converting. Now let's start optimizing. And then around that time, we started to bring on a, a marketing director who now is our VP of marketing. And she began to build out social media marketing, which became our next big aha moment when we realized that Facebook is perfect for our um, product and demographic. Yeah. Because we're, we're, you know, we're, our audience is mostly, um, you know, middle-aged women who uh, work at nonprofits. Um, yeah. Uh, and um, they're on Facebook and that we can speak to them in an authentic way because we come from that background in terms of running nonprofits and um, we have a solution that they need. And so that's more top of funnel because they're, they're just becoming aware of a solution. Then you get them into eBooks, I guess in the content play, <clears throat> webinars, blogs, drip campaigns, and you nurture them into where they're ready to then go into a trial or demo and, and then purchase. Very cool. From, just this is i guess this should have been the question that i asked before but how would it have been have how would it have been different if you hadn't been niched in nonprofits so the the yeah the for profit board management space is pretty crowded like we you know we looked at that space pretty closely we looked at the whole space Mm -hmm. um, you have Diligent there, who's, you know, was a publicly traded company that was purchased by Insight Ventures, and they've acquired five other businesses in our space, done some uh, roll-ups, and then also kind of reset one of their brands, um, Fort Effect, to be more of a nonprofit brand. Uh, so that's more of a direct competitor with us now. Um, so we looked at that space. It's crowded. Uh, NASDAQ plays in that space as well. They have Board Vantage, a uh, bunch of other folks, Passageways on board. So in that sort of financial to public traded, publicly traded sector, there's mm -hmm. lots of competition and it's a smaller market. The, the, the prices are higher. In other words, you can charge ten twenty thousand $20,000 a year, whereas we're charging one to 5,000 a year. Right. But, and they're also more sales led versus being self-service product led. Mm -hmm. But we really, you know, our heart is the nonprofit sector. And, and also we, we looked at the numbers, you know, there's 1.8 million, nonprofits in the US, 10 million worldwide. Mm -hmm. And um, a vast majority of them, we did some surveying just in, in our area, are using that email digital duct tape solution. And they, they really legitimately need a better solution because there are serious uh, risks to their organization to keep managing their board that way. Mm -hmm. You have, you have um, continuity issues, security issues. Um, you've got engagement problems with your board. You're wasting hours of time each each month, um, you know, with things that can be automated and integrated. So um, there's a lot of opportunity to solve that problem in a way and at a price that's affordable. That that right. you know speaks to that market. Cool. When really you know, what I guess like what is the the biggest challenge you know when when because it's product led right so people need to understand that they have a uh, 
problem on their own without you having to go on there and sell them on the phone call. Um, so what is the most challenging thing for them to get that aha moment? Like you had your aha moment with marketing, right? But what is it that they see in Boardable that just lights up that light bulb so that they know, okay, like this is the product that I need. Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a question that we're still answering. Um, but really the meeting center is the aha moment for them when they see that meeting center where they have um, everything in one place. They've got their agenda, they've got their documents, they have the people that are attending, they see whether the RSVPs are in, they can take attendance, they can do voting from there, uh, they can assign tasks, you can have discussions on that page, um, it integrates with calendars. So the meeting center really is the heart of Boardable. And once we see in a trial someone really using the meeting center and their board members using the meeting center, we use some, some, some AI and machine learning to score product you know, trial behavior. We know that that's going to most likely result in a conversion. So, and we want them to see that value. So we really want them to get to that, that, um, that the, the time to value has to be short on getting them into the meeting center and, and seeing the value of using the product at that level. Right. And what if they don't think that they have a problem, right? Like if, if I'm, you know, one of, of the people that are potentially one of your prospects and I see an advertisement on, on Facebook, how do I then know that, how are you telling me that I have a problem that you can solve if I don't know that I have a problem? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a majority of the market. Majority, mm. a vast majority of the market does not currently think they have a problem. And if you think about back historically, like when it's before CRMs came out, well, I don't need a CRM. I have an Excel spreadsheet, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I don't have a problem here. You know, I don't need an email marketing, uh, you know, or, you know, ESP because I've got, uh, I've got Gmail and I'm doing group lists, whatever it might be, you know, and then eventually one of two things happens. You, you reach a pain level where you realize you have a problem because you're like, I shouldn't be spending 10 hours a month on mailing out board books to my board members when they should be, we should be going, you know, paperless and they, I shouldn't have to email people back and forth all day long when they can just go to a portal. And often it bubbles up from the board member who is on another board that uses a tool like mm. Boardable or a board management solution, comes to this, joins a board and says, why aren't we using something? So, so, so often it's the board member that's the initial nudge to say, we need to be using something because this is unprofessional. Right. right. A lot of what we hear from people that have come to us is we want to professionalize the board experience and, and we get it because, you know, we have having chaired nonprofits, it feels unprofessional. At one point I couldn't find the bylaws. I was like, where are they? They're in somebody's inbox and they rolled off the board. I yeah. emailed this guy that's not on the board anymore to get bylaws. It's like, well, that's not good. You know, cause you lose things yeah. when you, when you manage via email. I mean, inboxes are just become black cool. holes sometimes. So, yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's when we, they reach a tipping point where their pain is great enough to know that they need to invest in a solution. Mm -hmm. So how, how interconnected would you say people at nonprofits are with each other? Like, you know, like, like if you're a CEO, you tend to talk to more CEOs than anybody that's not, right? So if you're in a nonprofit, you probably talk to people in other nonprofits and that's where that word of mouth kind of happens. Is referral marketing something that you've implemented or is that something that you've ever thought about doing since essentially that, like you mentioned, right? Like it doesn't really happen until I see somebody else doing it. But if I can send all my clients a link where they can send their, you know, their best friends at a different nonprofit, a demo of that specific meeting that you're talking about, that is the aha moment. 
would that make it a lot easier to acquire customers for a lower cost? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really the, the big X factor in this business. And we're tracking that pretty closely. And we're also in the product nudging that. Mm-hmm. So in a couple levels, so you can add another organization at any time from within the product. Mm-hmm. And then all of those instances abortable. So, you know, like on my phone, when I, when I log into uh, Bordable, I've got all my instances of Bordable connected so that I can jump between them with a click. So, you know, I've got them here on my phone and then I can go, you know, on our app and I can go into each one and jump between them. But I can also go and I can start a new instance of Bordable. That's so, cool. like, we're, we're always nudging that. Um, and uh, also, uh, we're beginning to build referral programs into the product as well. Right. Everything we do needs to be product centric. Right. So right. we're always thinking about how do, we, how do we build this? We can test it with sales. We have some sales staff. Sales staff to me are like half of their job, at least half is, of course, to close deals. The other half is to inform product and, and marketing of like, what are we hearing out there? What are people talking about? What do they see that the, that the, need, the product needing that the product doesn't have currently? So it's like, it's like Intel, mm-hmm. you know? That's very cool. Yes. The referral, referral stuff is something that we're looking to go much deeper into in 2020. Yeah, it seems like it would be something very, very valuable for you. Um, to move forward, a couple more, uh, more personal questions as, as far as growing the business. Um, aside from handing over a separate business to your wife, what's been the most difficult thing for you as you scale this? That's a great question. Um, I was just talking with my leadership team the other day, and I said to them, we are leaving the obvious zone. We have been in the obvious zone with this business for the first really two and a half, three years. What I mean by that is that it's been pretty obvious what needs to get done. Like mm. we, we, we've had a, a product vision from almost day one that we've been working on, and we are getting to the point where we're finally entering sort of the gray zone of the, of the, the edge of that vision, right? Um, we've known really early on that we need to be product led and marketing driven. Now we're starting to look at like a senior sales hire. So we're starting, we're starting to enter into some unknown spaces. We also just took on 3 million in additional funding. We have the ability to place some bets and to take and to make some experiments. Yeah. Which, how distracting is that going to be? So to answer your question (laughs) indirectly is I'm right now heading into the unobvious zone. Yeah. And, and we got to, I got to start bringing some people into the company that have, you know, been past this, this, this space. Like I, I felt pretty comfortable up to this time saying, okay, I, I know we need to do this, this, and this. It felt almost obvious, right? It does not feel so obvious right now what we need to do for the next year. I know the things we need to do on a high level, but there's a lot of gray space right now. And that's, um, I wouldn't say that's creating stress for me, but it's definitely uh, pushing me to um, do a lot of reflection and get a lot of different inputs and make sure that um, I'm going about this with the right mix of inputs and reflection. You know? mm-hmm. This is where it gets fun. It is fun. I mean, I'm having a blast. I love this, yeah. but I am, we are definitely in the, uh, the don't F it up phase. You know, it's like, you know, cause we've got something that works. We're, we're, we're healthy. We mm-hmm. approaching, you know, a thousand customers. It's, you know, it's a good business. Um, but we don't want to screw it up. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's, that's, that sounds like a, like a fun, you know, 
a little bit of anxiety maybe, but definitely like something good to look forward to, uh, starting, you know, learning new things, growing as an individual, uh, and really like another challenge, right. Where you like, it's really where, where I think people grow the most, which is always, uh, a nice challenge in my opinion. Um, yeah, on, on that, Louise, I just, cause I think you bring up a really good point. I think that you cannot separate your personal growth as a CEO from the company's growth. Mm. If you think that they're, they're not separate things, like yeah. I have to keep growing. I have to keep doing right. that personal work. Um, the business is, is growing in part because of that work. Now, of yeah. course, it's feeding me too. But if I, if I sort of shut down my, my growth and say, you know what, I've learned it. I know it. And I stop having a beginner's mindset yeah. and stop having a growth mentality, then it, eventually the decay will start to show up in the business too. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I agree with that. Um, if you could go back to day one of when you first started Boardable, would you do anything differently? I would definitely do something different when I started Smallbox. I mean, I, I can I have enough distance from that previous company mm. where I can say, okay, there's about a dozen things I would do differently there. It It's really hard for me to say that with Boardable because I'm still so in the thick of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I was coming out of an experience where I had made a fair amount of mistakes and I was in a very reflective, humble state when I started this company, feeling a little bruised and beat up, to be honest, um, that I was coming in with my ego at a pretty, pretty low point. Mm. So I, I didn't necessarily have the mojo that I have now that when I started it, yeah. and I'm like, my mojo was low, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, I actually am happy that's the way it was because I, again, I came in really wanting to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Be like, you know what? I, I, I feel a little beat up. I really want to show that I can be a leader that can grow a business. I've always wanted to run a product business. I had a little bit of a healthy chip on my shoulder. And, um, and so I don't look back with a lot of regret on the boardable run so far. I think it's been, it's been, um, it's something I'm very proud of, but the I can look back on my previous business and, and make at least a dozen um, distinctions and what I should have done differently and, and how that would have set that business up more for success and and been better for the employees and for, for me as an owner as well. And assuming that those are all things that you can still look back on and act on now with Boardable, right? Like it's, it's uh, as a whole, there are lessons that can be applied to if they are business, you can almost apply them to any sort of business as long as they are fundamentally, you know, similar. Yeah. I mean, every business has, every business has sort of core right. relational aspects, you know, in terms of like this, you know, like you say, well, you need a, you have a leadership team, you have a leadership team, you've got a culture, you've got a culture. So, you know, um, you've got values, you've got, um, you know, your ethics, how you go to market, there's a lot of fundamentals that cross over product mm-hmm. businesses are very different though. And that's yeah. one of the things I've learned about myself is that my, my personal DNA and my strengths are better suited for a product business and a service business. Mm-hmm. I found it really frustrating and fatiguing to feel like I was climbing the hill every month and quarter. Mm. Um, I, I just felt like it was an endless, you know, struggle um, yeah. to build reoccurring revenue and things like that. Um, and it was very demoralizing to me after a while. And, um, and, I, and I find I get a better energy out of running a product business, even if it's, you know, more of like taking a little snowball and kind of, you know, growing it over time. Yeah. 
um, that to me is is something that I can I can really sink my teeth into because I feel like it's accumulative, mm -hmm. um, and that's exciting. Yeah, it's it, I think it's definitely exciting. Um, why nonprofits? Well, um, two core reasons. You know, one was what I shared earlier. Um, the, you know, my background. You know, starting two nonprofits. One called Musical Family Tree which serves uh, musicians. I'm a musician and, and I wanted to build, I built a site back in 2004 that archived Indiana music. And then that turned into more of a community experience with events and became a 501 C three back in, I think 2013 or 14. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, does a lot of good things in the community really around independent musicians. Um, the ones that are writing and recording their own music, playing basement shows, you know, mm -hmm. those, that's where my heart's at with that project. Uh, I'm not on the board anymore, but I still, you know, help and advise from from the outside and then the other one is the speakeasy which is a co-working space that i co-founded with a number of other folks entrepreneurs in town and um and that that uh that was the first co-working space in the, in, the, in the state back in 2011 and um and really opened my eyes to um the power of that nonprofit model mm -hmm. in a lot of ways um of how you could go get grants and funding yeah and around that time, I started to um, serve on other boards, and now I serve on two two boards here locally. Awesome. Um, and I just, you know, I've always, from my way my parents raised me, um, I've always had a heart for the community. I I feel like it's my civic duty. That's great to, to give back and to build a product that actually enables, you know, um, nonprofit boards to be healthier. Mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, the math to me is pretty simple. It's not simple in execution, but on paper, a healthy board means a healthier organization means a healthier community. Right. And if we can help them have a healthier board, that means that they're, they're better prepared for meetings. They're attending more meetings they're following up. They're giving more, you know, all these things that they need to do fundraising that outputs at a healthy organization. The people that are being served in that community, then they're lifted up as well. Right. So, we're very mission driven. We are a for-profit business. We have funding. We need to be to, to solve the problem that we're solving, but we're doing it in a way that, that I hope remains very mission driven as we grow. Yeah, I think so. That's awesome. Uh, do you have any favorite books? Oh, I got a lot of favorite books. Um, you know, I think, um, uh, uh, I was just talking about Maverick by Ricardo Semler the other day. That was a real eye opener for me because my dad ran a manufacturing business in South Bend, Indiana. Um, and this is a story of, a, I think Brazil was where he was located, took over from his father and really transformed that business with, cool. with a lot of different ways of working where he, he sort of like empowered employees. Um, you know, that's a great book. I, I love um, uh, anything by, uh, by um, uh, with good to great's goods. So Jim Collins stuff's good. Um, Patrick Lencioni's books are great in terms of business books. On the spiritual side, I, I read a lot of things from the, the yoga Buddhist tradition. Okay. I feel like those, those things are just as important to me as a leader mm -hmm. um, in terms of how to, um, you know, kind of like view the ego and view you know, my consciousness and everything. Mm -hmm. And so, so we've started bringing meditation into the workplace. Cool. Um, so mindfulness, um, and that's been a big personal adjustment for me, which yeah. has been good. It's so, good. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, Panchalanjali Yoga Sutras to me is like my Bible. The Yoga Sutras, yeah. it's it's fantastic. That's cool. Yeah, I've been listening to The Power of Now. You've probably read it. Uh, I, forgot. I have not. Yeah, I've not read that yet. It's a really good book so far. I re- I'm really enjoying it. Um, but aside from that, where can people find you online, Jeb? Basically, uh, my, my parents were generous and gave me a great name for SEO. So <laughs> my Jeb Banner appears to be the only Jeb Banner in the world. Yeah. They, they had great foresight. They're like, we're going to optimize his name for search. Yeah. Um, so I'm at, at Jeb Banner on pretty much everything, uh, LinkedIn, cool. Twitter, Instagram, uh, JebBanner.com. So thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> That's awesome. And last but not least, do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I'm curious to know uh, a little bit about your business. I know that sounds funny. I mean, you, you're you're the one, but you know, like, how are you um, serving SaaS companies? And um, and maybe I'll be more specific. What are the common challenges you find them having as they go to market? Oh, that's a good question. So. Phantom is the agency SaaS ad lab is really the community slash podcast. Um, but Phantom focuses mainly on paid media, paid advertising. So anything, Google search, stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I've seen most companies really, you know, it, most of the times when they don't really have a, a marketing background is really understanding that they have to be for the most part, one is niched. Uh, so really know who they're going after. And on the second, it's really what I asked you earlier, right? Which is how do you get to really educate people on that? They need something that they don't know they're missing, right? Mm. Which is example, like, I don't know that I need affordable for, for my board, uh, for my nonprofit. So how do I really portray that they have an issue? And it's really, um, I like to think of it as not necessarily, you know, like you can do like a lot of different types of advertising and stuff like that, but we like to really dive into what is consumer behavior and just human behavior overall and thinking of not, you know, your first degree consequence, which is, you know, if I get boardable, I'm going to save time or, or something like that. But mm-hmm. really what are the second, third, fourth degree consequences of this, which in this case would be maybe right. I'm not entirely sure, but um, if I get boardable, I'm going to be saving time. But what does that really mean? Because nobody just wants time because they want time. You can't do anything, you know, with time essentially. But what does that bring to, say, the community that I'm helping out, right? So if I have a nonprofit for, you know, uh, people in, in need for food, what am I able to do with that time is, you know, something that is related to providing more more food to those that are in need. So raise, really, I can raise more money, for instance. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So so really like focusing on on you know, really learning what are those triggers that are going to make people actually take action on whatever it is that you're putting in front of them. So Absolutely. That's a, that's a little uh, rundown on, on what we like to do here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've enjoyed talking, Louise. And uh, anything else you want to t- touch base on? I think that's all for now. I really appreciate you being on here. It was a pleasure learning a little bit more about yourself, learning a little bit more about Uh, boardable and everything that you're doing and uh, i wish you the best of luck with everything and i think you're going to be great thank you so much i appreciate it we'll catch up take care bye